Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning. Good morning. On this 17th day of December, we find ourselves in Luke chapter 17. I hope you are reading with me and all of our friends at Faith Radio through the season of Advent. We are reading a chapter of the Gospel of Luke. We started on December the 1st, so today we find ourselves in Luke chapter 17. Uh, short of reading the entire chapter to you on air, let me, um, let me say this. Send matters to God. Lead not others into temptation. Forgive as you have been forgiven, which is to say over and over and over and over and over again. And then ask yourself, um, do I turn to Jesus in my need, absolutely wholeheartedly expecting him to take care of me, but then failing to give him the glory and the praise um, when he actually proves himself to be worthy of that faith and that confidence. So right in the middle, starting at verse 11 of chapter 17 of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus and the disciples are on their way to Jerusalem. He's passing along between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, he was met by 10 leopards, lepers, and they stood at a distance. And he, they lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now that would suggest to you that they recognize him for who he is, and they are pleading with him for the mercy that he is certainly able to provide. And he sees them and says to them, go show yourselves to the priests, which is what a leper would have to do to prove that they were healed. And in, in turning to go to, the, to show themselves to the priests, they are demonstrating their faith in Christ. Like that's a demonstration of faith, that they went. And on the way, they were cleansed. Now, first of all, this is a pretty extraordinary miracle. Jesus never touches them. Jesus never even you know, specifically says anything out loud that Luke records in terms of this uh, miracle of healing. But on their way, as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. Now, there are lots of uh, things to consider here. Maybe the other nine continued on to the priest where Jesus had actually initially sent them to begin with. It's interesting that the one who turns back, Jesus acknowledges, first of all, this man falls on his face uh, at Jesus's feet and gives gives thanks to him. And Luke notes he was a Samaritan. So Jesus was sending, first of all, a Samaritan leper to see the priests. That was not going to work out. Like that Samaritan was not going to be received by that Jewish priest in those days. So that's an interesting part of this conversation as well. We tend to highlight the fact that only one returned. Why? Because that's actually the point that Jesus makes out of all of this. Jesus answered, we're not 10 cleansed. Where are the nine? Well, presumably the other nine proceeded on to show themselves to the priests. Maybe one of the things that Jesus is uh, revealing here, seeking for us to understand, is that He's the priest. He's the one to whom 
we should be showing ourselves when we are healed, which is what, in fact, the Samaritan returns to do. Uh, He says, uh, was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he says to them, rise up, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And then there is uh, the the end of of the 17th chapter. And Jesus is getting a question here from the Pharisees asking him about when the kingdom of God will come. I really encourage you to spend some time today in this portion of the 17th chapter of the Gospel of of Luke um, and see what Jesus says about the kingdom of God. First of all, he he absolutely is hoping that they will see that it is in the midst of them, that he is, in fact, the kingdom of God. During this Advent, we acknowledge that God's kingdom has come in the person of Jesus Christ, in the incarnation of his Son. The, the kingdom has been established. It is here. It is, uh, it is instituted. And yes, Jesus is coming again, which is the question that they, were, that they were really putting before him. And Jesus points back to the days of Noah, when people did not get it. He points to the days of Lot when people did not get it. And he points to the days in which he is living. People don't get it. And he is hoping that uh, those of us who have faith would be people who would um, who would get it, who would recognize him when he comes again to judge the living and the dead. So that's what the, uh, the remainder of the 17th chapter of the Gospel According to Luke is all about. I encourage you to read it today. Get into the Word of God. Let it get into you before you get out into the world that God so loves. Next up, I got Ben Johnson from the Acton Institute. We got a range of headlines to cover. We'll be right back. This is my right. All right, joining me now, the Rights Writer. He is Ben Johnson. You can follow him on Twitter at the Rights Writer. You can also find him at Acton, A-C-T-O-N dot O-R-G. He's got a piece up right now, Should the U.S. Abolish the Electoral College? That is some interesting reading. Ben, welcome back. Good to be with you as always, Carmen. Okay, so I would like to start off with this story out of uh, a small Minnesota town that has voted to allow what is being described as a white supremacist church. I'm not sure that's an accurate uh, description. Um but I would also then like to address the online petition blocking this whites-only church in western Minnesota. So talk with us about what's going on here. Yeah, the town is Murdoch, Minnesota, 275 people, and there's a group called the Astaru Folk Assembly, A-S-T-A-R-U, so uh, uh, Asatru Folk Assembly. And uh, the uh, the organization is uh, called a neo-folkish hate group. Uh, they believe that they have pagan beliefs. They believe in uh, uh, various uh, kinds of natural-based religions, very much like uh, Hitler and the Nazis did. And they uh, they are against interracial marriage. So uh, they, they're they a hate group. There's no question about it. We shouldn't sugarcoat it. Uh, they have two other meeting places, which they call Hoths, across the country. And they just bought a former Lutheran church in this small town in Minnesota. Uh, the, uh, the town had to... Uh, had to vote to approve whether they could make this uh, purchase and come in. And uh, basically what the uh, legal counsel to that city told them was, this is a religion, therefore they have religious-based exemptions from from, uh, uh, any kind of state or city ordinances that we might want to pass. They have the right to practice their faith if this is truly a bona fide religion. 
this ended up uh, obviously causing a great deal of concern in the community and throughout the broader state. Uh, there are people from the Twin Cities where, uh, where Faith Radio is based uh, who have come out against this. Even, even their fellow pagans tried to uh, disown them. There's a group called Heathens Against Hate, or if you go by their acronym, HA, uh, that uh, denounced them and said that hate shouldn't be a part of, of heathenism. Uh, so kind of words that uh, mangle and, and uh, distort our brains at this early hour, but, but that's, uh, that's what's been going on here. Now, obviously, nobody on the, in the city council of Murdoch wanted to go on record saying that they recognize the right of this group to meet. So they, they voted in a voice vote off camera uh, in a virtual meeting. So no one took accountability for this. Uh, really, though, what it comes down to is there wasn't really much else that they could have done. If this is a bona fide faith and a bona fide religion, and apparently it is for these people, uh, th this is part of their religious approach to the world. It's a worldview that you and I think is absolutely demonic and satanic, but it is their approach to faith. If that is their religion, then there is nothing constitutionally that the town could do to stop them. Uh, in the words of uh, Murdoch City Attorney Don Wilcox really hold the ground here, and it's something that everyone who believes in the First Amendment should take home, which is just because you don't like it doesn't mean they can't do it. Okay, so you have... Um you have illuminated all of the questions. Um, first of all, who gets to decide what a bona fide religion is in America? Um, and uh, and then this question that uh, the city council voted on whether or not this purchase could be could be completed. Now that's because it is special use property. It's property that had been designated for the purpose of being a church. Um, the the conversation that that I would like for listeners to consider this morning is also, you know, why is it that um, there's a there's a church for sale in this community? Well, it's because the community didn't support their local congregation for whatever reason. And I'm not saying that there aren't other churches in this community, but there are church buildings for sale across the country. Thousands of uh, Presbyterian, Lutheran, Episcopalian and other Reformed and Congregational churches have closed and are closing and will continue to close. David Kenneman has told us to expect the closure of thousands of churches following um, the, the, you know, the end of the pandemic. Like when we come out the other side of this, there are going to be thousands of churches across the country that do the math and say to themselves, we are not, um, we can't make a go of it anymore as a, you know, as an institution that has to maintain property. And so I want you to consider right now, wherever you live, which churches in your community would you like to see preserved as outposts of the Christian faith? Um, because there will be other people, other groups, people of different faiths, heathens, pagans, neo-folkish hate groups, um, and others. I mean, and, you know, and bona fide religious groups like Muslims who want to use those designated special use properties that are tax exempt in communities across the country um, that are that are no longer functional churches. Maybe it's time for us, for Christians, to take back some of uh, that terrain to say, you know what, I'm not going to let a church in my community die. I'm going to do what needs to be done to to reach people for Jesus, to revitalize the church in my own community. And that starts with a restoration of the Word of God to its rightful place in our lives in order that it might be restored to its rightful place in the life of the church, in order that the church might be restored to her rightful place in the life of the community. I mean, friends, this just gets down to if you don't like the fruit being born in your community, if you don't like the fruit of neo-focalish hate groups, if you don't like, uh, you know, the proliferation of, of heathen, heathenism and paganism in your community, um, 
then evangelism is where we go. Like, that is where we go. Uh, And so I just want to encourage people today. Like, in America, there is nothing to prevent this group of people from gathering together and uh, and seeking to preserve their religious, ethnic approach. I don't appreciate it. But but contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's nothing wrong with racism. Contrary to the worldview that says that uh, people are created equally in the image of God, regardless of where they're born or the color of their skin, um, it, you set that aside, you set the Bible aside, and there's nothing wrong with racism. Like, there's no reason that anybody who is a humanist has any cause to say that racism is wrong. I mean, help me find that. Help me find that in humanism. It's not there. There's no basis it, 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 for very, it. Very hard, very hard to find in evolutionary biology. You know, uh, if people don't, I, I just want to amplify what you're saying. If people don't want to see the body of Christ sold, they don't want pagans to purchase the body of Christ, then we need to be the body of Christ. Uh, that's, that's the most important thing that we can do. And, you know, when it comes to these organizations, we've seen uh, not just a, a war on our institutions, but we've seen an, an all-out war on the place of Christianity in the United States. Christianity has been presented as a uniquely hateful religion. I hope the fact that a former Lutheran church is being replaced by uh, the Asatru Folk Assembly, a neo-folkish hate group, kind of throws that into uh, greater stark relief. Uh, when people back away from Christianity, what they're going to find isn't necessarily enlightened scientism or effete liberalism. What they often turn to is blood and soil, it's hate, and uh, the, the only barrier that had stood between that has been the traditional Western Christian view, Judeo-Christian view of the dignity of all mankind. That has been removed from our national institutions, and now it's being removed one community at a time. I, I just want to encourage our listeners, the most important thing we can do is be the body of Christ. So please pray for the conversion of these people to genuine, authentic Christianity. Yeah, amen. If you're listening right now and you say to yourself, hey, you know what, I don't know any Christians that um, that need to be reached for Jesus. Hey, here's some. Okay, uh, so uh, we got to take a very brief break. When we come back, Ben Johnson and I are going to continue our conversations. The Department of Justice has announced a joint final rule regarding equal treatment of faith-based organizations um, and and doing so through the support of, um, of social service programs across the country. We want to highlight that uh, this morning as well. We'll be right back. Because it's Christmas. All right, continuing my conversation with Ben Johnson. He is the rights writer. You can follow him on Twitter as such. You can also find him at Acton, A-C-T-O-N dot O-R-G. Um, ben, I received this as uh, this final rule um, in relationship to the equal treatment of faith-based organizations um, from several U.S. Um, departments. I, I view this as very, very positive. Tell people what's going on here. Uh, It is very positive. Uh, You're right. Multiple organizations, Department of Justice, Department of Education, many others have said that if you are a faith-based organization, you can still take part in federal programs without discrimination. You don't lose your ability to practice your faith Monday morning when you go into your workplace. So uh, no one will be compelled to do any particular service uh, that violates their religion. This was an issue under the previous administration where uh, if someone, for example, uh, did not want to be involved in abortion advocacy in some cases or in uh, transgender issues, uh, then it became uh, a a case where they could lose their federal funding. Uh, This takes effect on January 14th. Joe Biden will be inaugurated January 20th. The scandal here is that it's taken the Trump administration four years to roll out a rule that just bonifies 
uh, and and uh, underscores what the U.S. Constitution put into place uh, more than 200 years ago. The good news is this language exists. It'll be ready to be reintroduced word for word in the next administration uh, after Joe Biden, uh, because this is going to be one of the very first things that uh, he ends up repealing. The Justice Department in particular, mark my words, six weeks from now, the Justice Department is going to pull a 180 that would make your legal head spin. Uh, the Justice Department so far has been on the side of protection of conscience rights, on the side of uh, exercising faith in the public square. It's going to pull a 180, and now people of faith will find themselves prosecuted if they don't comply with uh, often shady federal orders, and there's going to be a tremendous uptick in the number of uh, federal cases in order to reestablish our constitutional rights once this is repealed. So I'm glad that it takes effect for six days, uh, the, the, and the Biden administration won't repeal it on day one, but it'll be awfully close. And the Justice Department will, will work in exactly the opposite way. Instead of securing our constitutional rights, it will work to undermine our constitutional rights. Yeah, that's a that's a dark forecast and I think um, quite accurate. Um, I want to circle back around really quickly to a story that you and I um, started to talk about, I think, last week. Um, this is out of Indiana. We were talking about um, two people who both who are both of the same gender who both wanted to be listed on um, uh, on a child's birth certificate, which would have eliminated uh, the space where the biological father could have been listed. Tell us what happened there. Yeah, ultimately, this this case had gone through Indiana State Court. It had gone through the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals, which sided with uh, the the couple, saying that uh, the father's name could be eliminated and the two women could be listed as the parents of this child. Uh, the attorney general of the state of Indiana, Curtis Hill, appealed to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court declined to hear it. So, effectually, that means that the lower court ruling holds, and uh, so the both women will be listed as the parents of this child. Now, uh, that actually goes along with a 2017 Supreme Court decision, which said that if a state allows two people who are not the biological parent to be listed on a birth certificate, then they have to do so for people of uh, the opposite sex. So if, if you're going to list a man who is not the father or a woman who is not the mother, then typically the man who is not the father, then same-sex couples have the same right. You can you can simply eliminate the fiction uh, that uh, this person was involved whatsoever and list two people of the same gender. That's dangerous, and the Attorney General, uh, Curtis Hill, really had a wonderful quotation on this. He said, a birth mother's wife will never be the biological father of the child, meaning whenever a birth mother's wife gains presumptive parented status, a biological father's rights and obligations to the child have necessarily been undermined without proper adjudication. In other words, we're we're creating law for the convenience uh, of a fiction uh, because it furthers a narrative in society. We're not doing so with any regard to the well-being of children. We're saying that fathers have the right to to uh, father children and then disappear from their lives. One of the best things that has happened in terms of our culture over the last 20, 30 years, and it's hard harder and harder to find good things, one of them has been this emphasis in stigmatizing, stigmatizing can be a good thing, stigmatizing deadbeat dads, people who have abandoned their children, refused to take any financial or other uh, obligations to heart when it comes to the children that they have parented. This should be the reality across the board. We should not undermine that through legal stratagems because it furthers a narrative. We should reinforce the obligations that if you father a child, if you are the mother of a child, you have obligations to that child. And you should think that through before you choose to become the parent. 
So that's important. Uh, I think that the right legal answer to this was offered by one particular legal expert, uh, namely you, when you said we need to have uh, certificates that list parents, biological parents, uh, regardless of whether these, these are birth certificates, regardless of whether they are married to one another, we should have a certificate that simply lists biological father, biological mother, and that should be uh, available because uh, as, as good as this makes the parents feel, that doesn't tell the child down the road where 50% of that child's DNA comes from. It doesn't say whether that child's children will have a predisposition to sickle cell anemia or Tay-Sachs disease. They need to know where they come from, who their parents are, and uh, that way they can, uh, they can take into account their own health information. They should have a right to know uh, at a minimum where 50% of their DNA comes from and the state should not stand in the way of someone knowing part of themselves. Amen. Amen. Um, I'm reminded of the conversation that I had with uh, with Rod Dreher about his new book, Live Not by Lies. And uh, when you say we are creating law for the convenience of a fiction, that is a culture that has started to uh, compel its citizens to live by lies. And I, I just it's it, it's absolutely uh, essential uh, that we take note and we say no. OK, Ben Johnson, thank you so much. we got to leave it right there. Appreciate you, brother. You guys can find Ben. Uh, on Twitter at The Rights Writer. We'll be right back. We have raised continual concern about the need for uh, planting and replanting churches and communities uh, that are populated by people predominantly who are brown and black across the United States of America. Well, welcome the Crete Collective. Pastor uh, Tabidi uh, Anna Bway is going to join me to talk about planning churches in American, America's urban core. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. When I say the word bullying, what picture pops into your head? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. When I think of bullying, I immediately imagine a small kid cowering in a corner about to get beat up by a bigger one. And while it's true that physical harassment and intimidation is one mode of bullying that takes place, especially among boys, there are other tactics to be aware of. Girls in particular like to inflict emotional and psychological pain. They'll exclude their victims from the lunchroom table or birthday parties. And while boys like to sling insults and verbal abuses, girls prefer the cold shoulder method. Bullying comes in various forms, so keep your eyes and ears open. It's often a lot more subtle than you expect, but just as hurtful. Check out the articles, books, and parenting tips from Mark Gregston, available on Facebook and at ParentingTodaysTeens.org. Come, they told me, pa-ra-pa-pum-pum. A newborn king to see, pa-ra-pa-pum-pum. What a joy to have with us today, Pastor Tabidi Anabiwe. Uh, he is the pastor of the Anacostia River Church. He's also the president of the Crete Collective. Tabidi, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning, Carmen. Thank you for having me on. It's such a joy. It's such a joy. When we, um, when we think about church planting and we think about church planting networks, I have to admit to you, um, we don't often think about the way the church needs to be planted and in some cases replanted in the urban core. So talk with us about the Crete Collective. Well, the, the Crete Collective exists to address that problem. We want to plant churches 
in uh, neglected black and brown neighborhoods that are marked by um, various forms of challenges, social, economic, and, and so on. And we have that focus um, not because we think the church planting that's going on in all the other places of the country is unnecessary, it's very necessary, but because these are indeed neglected and overlooked places. We, we think that um, much of the church planting work has drifted toward places that people, whether implicitly or explicitly, uh, say and think are feasible. Uh, and yet the gospel is meant to go to every creature, and uh, we are meant to go into the highways and the hedges and to compel people to come into the kingdom. And so we need a, a missional focus on those places that have been left out to date. So one of the most exciting things to me about uh, about the Crete Collective are the people who are involved in it, because what we're talking about here are really well-established pastors and congregations that are large and vibrant and able to enter into this. Talk about the guys um, that are engaged with you in the Crete Collective, and talk about the vibrancy of these congregations. God's been really kind to be attracting people to this work in various ways, churches of, of all sizes and types. So it's a great honor to labor with John Anwuchekwa. He's the lead pastor at Cornerstone Church in Atlanta, church that was planted almost six years ago now and uh, in the west end of Atlanta, one of those neglected neighborhoods, um, and just doing a phenomenal job. Um, and, and a, as you said, vibrant uh, congregation of, of saints across the, the cultural and ethnic and income spectrum, um, loving their neighbors there in west end. And there's, then there's Daryl Williamson. He's the lead pastor of Living Faith Bible Church down in Tampa, Florida, uh, serving that very diverse city and community. He's also a member of the um, Gospel Coalition and sits on the council there, doing good work with the coalition as well. And one of my long-term friends, Louis Love, is a pastor in North Chicago. Uh, he's been uh, leading uh, New Life Fellowship Church there in North Chicago for about 20 years, but he's been a pastor since he was 17. So he's in mm. his 50s now. And so 40 years of church planting experience in different contexts and pastoral experience in different contexts. And then um, we have our brother Aaron Reyes, who's the pastor of Hope Community Church down in Austin, Texas, serving a predominantly Hispanic and Asian congregation there in East Austin, um, one of the areas of the city that's that's gentrifying and uh, and yet also home to, you know, the kinds of challenges that we care about. And a good friend and partner in the gospel here, Jeremy McLean, was actually a church plant from our church here, Anacostia River Church. He's here in Washington, D.C. with us. He's serving a community that was home to the largest, second largest, I think, housing project uh, in the city and all that comes with that. And just as a faithful, godly brother, left a, an engineering career to um, at first lead an after-school program for kids in that housing project. And after seven or eight years of doing that, planted a church there. And so these are the these are the kinds of, of stories. These are the kinds of people that we hope to see sort of gather into a collective that tries to multiply this work uh, around the country. I'm talking with Pastor Tabidi Anna Biwe, and we are talking about the Crete Collective. You can find it at thecretecollective.org. Uh, remind our listeners uh, what we're referring to when we use the word Crete. Yeah, we take that, that name straight out of the Bible from Paul's letter to one of his associates, uh, Titus, who was left in an island nation called Crete. 
Um, and his his instruction to Titus was that he would um, he was left there in order to put things in order and to appoint elders in every town. Now, scholars would estimate there there's somewhere between thirty to a hundred towns in Crete at that time. Um, and so what Paul was really talking about was a church planting movement. And this is significant for us because Paul would go on to say that Crete was one of those hard places to reach, that um, the people of Crete were of, of difficult character and the circumstances there were difficult. And yet God means his gospel to go there. And so we're the Crete Collective aiming to go to places that um, are still regarded as Jericho roads in uh, in the minds of many people because there are people there made in God's image who need the gospel. I love the, uh, I don't just love the vision. I love the people who are carrying the vision out. Um, I think one of the things that I will immediately hear from listeners is, hey, aren't there already churches in these communities? Um, You know, are these guys overlooking the presence of historic congregations that maybe need uh, to be uplifted and encouraged? So tell, tell people about that part of this vision. That's that's a great question and a good concern for people to raise. Indeed, there are churches um, in in these neighborhoods, um, and and we want to be partners with those churches. And so we think of it as kind of a gospel ecology. We, we're thinking of what are, what are the nutrients, what are the the aspects of the ecology there that make the gospel unavoidable for all the residents. So here's what we find in a lot of our neighborhoods: there there are buildings on every other corner, and yet. Uh, in many of these neighborhoods, because of the, the difficulties with crime and dilapidation and things of that sort, many of the people who are members of those churches, they maybe grew up in the neighborhood, but they moved out to sort of better, quote unquote, better places to live. And so they drive back to church and they're here on Sunday morning, but there's they don't have a gospel presence Monday through Saturday. Here's the other thing that we find is that a lot of these congregations are aging. These are older members in churches that may have beautiful buildings, but they're like 15 or 20 people in their 70s, 60s, trying to keep the lights on. And so they're in need of revitalization. Um, and they exist alongside some some vibrant churches. And so we want to partner with the vibrant churches. We want to try and revitalize some of the fledgling works, and we want to add new works so that we have a rich gospel ecology that makes the, makes the good news of Jesus Christ unavoidable uh, for our neighbors in the community. I'm talking with uh, Tabidi Anabiwe, and we are talking about the Crete Collective. We're going to take a very brief pause. When we come back, I'm just going to ask Tabidi to sort of reflect on the year which is now largely behind us and the year which now lies ahead. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation now with pastor and author Tabidi Anabiwe. If you have not read anything that Tabidi has written, um, then your reading has been deficient, and I encourage you to uh, to do so um, and to listen to him as well. We thank you, uh, Tabidi, for your work in not only your own local congregation there at the Anacostia River Church in Washington, D.C., and your work with the Crete Collective, this new church planting network. Um, I just also appreciate your voice in the larger culture. So can you just reflect for a moment on the year which now lies behind and then maybe um, cast a vision for how we as Christians in the United States of America might behave better toward one another in the year ahead? That's a really great question. 
uh, the year that was 2020. Praise the Lord, we made it to the end. I, you know, this is <laughs> this year has had like 37 months in it. It's been it's been the <laughs> longest year, and and none of it predictable. This this year didn't go the way anyone thought it would go on December 31st, 1990. Uh, you know, 2019. Um, so I think the Lord has reminded us that He is Lord. Mm -hmm. uh, he sent a, a global pandemic as a way of sending us all to our rooms for a little while because of our misbehavior. And and he's given us great opportunity to be um, repentant, to be turning toward him. I think of the Lord's words in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 13, where they ask him about the Tower of Siloam that, that fell on those people. And, and the Lord says, you know, it wasn't because they were, you know, particularly sinful or unusually sinful. Um, in fact, you guys should look at that and repent. And I think if if I were writing a word over 2020, one word would be repent. We need to return to the Lord uh, in in seeking Him afresh, in committing ourselves to Him afresh. Um, we need to return to the Lord, you know, repenting of our partisanship, um, divisiveness. You mentioned the unkindness that has come to typify so-called Christian social media and things of that sort. And listen, I get it. There are times where, where issues are pressing and important and times where, you know, things need to be said matter-of-factly, if, if not every once in a while sharply. But that's come to characterize too many Christians, um, a kind of contentiousness and brawling, um, an uncharitable reading of others. Uh, and it's to our shame. And so I think we have this amazing opportunity going into 2021 to say, Lord, uh, we hear you. Uh, we hear you calling us back to yourself. Uh, we are turning to you. Um, we are miserable because of our sins. Forgive us and cleanse us afresh in Christ. You promised you would do that for anyone who came to you. Um, and, and so that, that would be the word I would write over 2020, because in part, 2020 has presented, with, presented us with a lot of distractions, too. So we still have to be people who get the gospel out to others, despite the pandemic. I mean, the gospel has been said is only good news if it gets there on time. Well, we've seen at least 275,000 deaths related mm -hmm. to COVID. That's a quarter of a million people, many of whom would still be alive without this pandemic, many of whom I'm afraid went to a Christless eternity mm -hmm. um, and, and went to an eternal judgment. And so we still have to be gospel people undistracted by um, many of the things that have distracted us in 2020. And I'm hoping 2021 will be a recommitment to our first love and a recommitment to uh, the things that matter eternally um, and, 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 and a recommitment to loving one another. If we were going to write a word in advance over 2021, the year of the Lord 2021, how might we as gospel people, as, um, as people who repent and recommit to our first love, um, how might we write a word over 2021? Like, that seems like that is a good vision to cast for people. Here's the word I don't want written over 2021. I don't want the word Ichabod. Mm, amen, sister. Mm. So, so if we don't repent, then, you know, then we could look toward 2021 and expect Ichabod to be the, the word written over it. But if we do repent, and we do turn, and we do believe that God redeems, and, and He will uh, and he will come alongside and encourage and sustain and provide, then what word, if we have this conversation a year from now, what word would you like to see written over 2021? 
Wow, I, you you set that up so powerfully that that you make only one word an option, <laughs> and and that would be glory, right? Amen. Uh, so so yeah, so Ichabod is the departing of God's glory from His people. Um, we we want the return of that glory. We want His glory to rest upon us in such a splendid and beautiful and compelling way that we ourselves would be assured that we are the people of God, and that many the nations would be called to Him. Uh, because of his splendor, because of his beauty. Um, and so we, we want 2021 to be a year where we worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness, where we uh, worship the Lord in the beauty of his glory and and make him known for his glory in that way. And so I, I, I love the way you set that up because I do think there's a sense in which 2020 felt like over the church, there was beginning the scrawling of the word Ichabod. Um, and, and God forbid, send, send your people grace that it, that it be not so. Uh, when you're talking about beauty, I'm I'm reminded of this ongoing conversation I'm having with uh, Junius Johnson. Uh, he he wrote a book called The Theology of Beauty, the Father of Lights. If you don't know him, mm. um, you he's a he'd be a heart brother. You'd love him. He's mm. yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Tabidi, anything else that you want to to share? I mean, I love the conversation about glory and glorifying the Lord and setting a word over the year which lies ahead, uh, laying claim to the Word of God and its promises and the goodness of God um, and our responsibility as gospel people to be advancing the gospel. Any other word you want to give to the people um, as we as we part ways today? Well, again, thank you for having me on. And I, w- I would love to meet that brother you just mentioned. Uh, it sounds compelling. Anybody writing about the beauty of the Lord uh, needs to be read and, and needs to be heard. Uh, I, I think the last thing I would maybe um, appeal to you for your listeners with is that they would join us in this partnership, that they would mm, join us uh, in learning more about the Creek Collective. Visit the web- website, thecreekcollective.org. Um, learn more there and partner with us in prayer, partner with us financially. We're trying to build, uh, if you'll forgive the metaphor, we're trying to build a war chest um, that will allow us to support planters in going to the hardest places and to support them at a level where they don't have to worry about where their next meal is going to come or whether or not another church is going to be there with the support or things of that sort. If we ask people to do the hardest things, we ought to give them the best equipment. So if we send our soldiers into war-torn places, they need to go with the best equipment to be soldiers. And in this spiritual warfare, as we spread the gospel, we want to send people well-equipped. And so we would ask folks to to pray for us and to join us financially, um, to spread the word and to to let us know about what's happening in their neighborhoods uh, as as we seek to see the Lord's church established everywhere. TheCreteCollective.org. Um, Tabidi, are are you guys focusing on on planting these first churches through this network in particular neighborhoods, um, and you already have identified maybe those cities? Um, we, you know, we love to play, to pray strategically when we can. How could we pray strategically with you, um, even as we certainly are inviting people to come alongside in tangible ways in the building of the war chest? And that's a great question. I think I think the pray specifically the way that your your question is framed there. Pray the Lord would lead us to the particular neighborhoods and communities in in the cities where um, we would have good partnerships with churches that are already there, and pray for the raising up of uh, the planters who who have some connection perhaps with those communities and cities, who have the right heart for loving the poor and the marginalized, um, and so that these effective partnerships between places planters and partner churches uh, might be established and um, lead to effective planting. 
Okay. Places, planters, partners. This is going to be the strategic ways in which we're going to pray with and for the Crete Collective, uh, this just extraordinary new church planting network um, seeking to revitalize and plant new congregations in distressed and neglected black and brown communities across the United States. Uh, Tabidi, thank you so much um, for ministering to us today, sharing this vision, um, putting this together in terms of launching this network and inviting us in. What a privilege. Thank you so much. The privilege is mine. Thank you for having me on, and thank you for what you do to build up God's church and the spirit, the gentle, meek, and and beautiful spirit in which you do it, sister. I appreciate you. Mm, Thank you. Thank you. Friends, we'll be right back. Thank you for those of you engaging with me on the text line. You can always text me during the show, 877-933-2484. I want to encourage you to go and grab the podcast from Susie Larson's show yesterday, yesterday afternoon on Susie Larson Live. She had a, I don't know, a person who you might find as an interesting guest. That was me. There you go. I was Susie Larson's guest yesterday. And so, you know, it's a little bit of a twofer for those of you who love Faith Radio, and want to hear Susie and I engaging with one another. Uh, so you you can grab all the podcasts on the Faith Radio app. Great way right there to share podcasts with your friends. You can always also get them at MyFaithRadio.com. Encourage you to check out all the rest of the stuff there on the website. And if you have not done so already, go ahead and get the information about the great giveaway. The great giveaway is this Friday during Susie's show in the afternoon on Susie Larson Live. So she's actually going to be a guest here uh, for the last half hour. Is tomorrow Friday? Tomorrow. It's also her birthday. Wow, all kinds of things going on in Susie's life tomorrow. She's going to be uh, she's going to be here tomorrow morning for the last half hour of our show. She's going to be doing the great giveaway during her show and during the first portion of Uh, of Bill Arnold's show as well. So the great giveaway is tomorrow. Go to MyFaithRadio.com today. Get all the info. Check it out. Uh, Get one of your, you know, get one of your acts of kindness done today so that you have a testimony to give tomorrow. I mean, that's not hard. Go do something nice for someone else today. Simple act of kindness so that you're prepared to share your testimony during our great giveaway segments tomorrow um, on all of our live broadcasts. How fun is that? All right. Podcasts always available. MyFaithRadio.com. Great day to share this ministry with somebody that you know. Be a radio missionary today. How fun would that be? Something that you can give away to someone else today that you know would be a blessing to them. Uh, if you share our show, you know our hope is that they will cultivate the mind of Christ on the matters of the day and glorify God as they walk their faith out into the world that he so loves. we got another hour up now. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.